Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodities strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to All Options Considered. I'm Tanvir Sandhu, Chief Global Derivative Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm for Bloomberg. And I'm Victoria Garcia Lusto, Marketing for Bloomberg Intelligence. And on this episode, we'll be discussing the latest themes from the volatility markets. Later, we will be joined by Dean Karnat from Macro Risk Advisors. So Tanvir, what has been going on with the volatility markets year to date? So the narratives on the economic outlook are all over the place and are changing very quickly. We've gone from hard recession to no recession to soft landing, hard landing, no landing narratives. So there's been some choppy moves, which makes it a great market for trading options. The start of the year uh, saw the market in vol compression mode as the S&P 500 rallied about 9%. Realized vol is about 16 year to date. And that is coming off last year where vol was 24, which ranked the sixth highest following the 1930s Great Depression. Over the long term, S&P 500 is a 14 vol asset. And as a comparison, Bitcoin is a 70 vol asset. So rates vol came down in January before bouncing from levels we thought has started looking stretched. 10-year bond yields have traded in a 60 basis point range this year as the terminal rate pricing has shifted higher following a string of positive data surprises. Um, And how do you view positioning and sentiment? There's been a chase for the upside this year with sentiment and positioning seeing a quick shift. So investors have been pulled into the market and we can see that in sentiment indicators such as the American Association of Individual Investors Survey, which has flipped net bullish to the highest since November 2021. Uh, There's been record option volumes with 40 million calls traded on one day, which reflects the sharp bullish turn in sentiment and positioning. And as we have seen many times before, the chase for the upside corresponds with a local top. So the S&P has moved lower since February the 2nd, which was the day of call option volume trading at record levels. Also, the beta of CTAs with the market has turned positive, which may see those accounts having to sell as the market moves lower. You mentioned CTAs. What do you mean by that? So CTAs, or Commodity Trading Advisors, is a category within the hedge fund industry that trades futures and options on a whole range of financial assets. The commodities part of the name is actually misleading in the sense that they don't just trade commodities. Um, The futures market was mostly on commodities when the industry started in the 1970s, hence the name. So since CTAs have grown into trading other financial instruments and they follow a systematic trend following strategies. So the beta of CTAs to the equity market has turned positive this year on the rally as they've been basically drawn into the market. As the trend has turned, they will have trigger points where they will need to sell and therefore CTAs are a near-term headwind for the market. And what's the overall outlook? So our outlook for the year has been lower rates vol, which is part of the reason that equity vol should be overall lower than 2022. And that's basically on the back of uh, the tails of the rate distribution moving lower. So we've seen a significant fall in rates fall, 
But our question became whether it has gone too far too fast in the near term. Medium term, the basis is still lower as the terminal rate is nearing despite it having repriced higher. The reacceleration of the economy is the key risk, but money supply is on a downward trend. Bank lending has tightened and there has been a sharp fall in demand for credit. The labor market and rent are all lagging indicators, so we are still in for a bumpy ride for risk assets. Thank you, Tanvir. Next up, Tanvir will be joined by Dean Kernat from Macro Risk Advisors. So now I'm joined by Dean Kernat, the CEO and founder of Macro Risk Advisors. Great to have you on, Dean. Happy to be here, Tanvir. It'd be great if you could just tell our listeners a little bit about your background. Well, I'm a longtime sell-sider. I've been on the sell side of the markets business uh, since 1991. Um, Got out of college, had developed a real passion for finance in, in college, had studied the um, original uh, big one in 1987, the stock market crash. And um, out of college, I was at Nomura Securities for a couple of years, went to the University of Chicago's business school, got really interested in options and derivatives uh, during my time at uh, the UFC, um, was at Lehman for four or five years, Bank of America for seven in equity derivatives. And then during the financial crisis in 2008, had a chance to spin out and start my own broker dealer, Macro Risk Advisors, in uh, in 2008 amidst the VIX of 80. So folks were really learning what systemic risk was at that time. And that was really um, kind of a founding principle of Macro Risk Advisors and something we really continue to focus on now is trying to find those sources of spillover in markets uh, but I've been doing that for, for the last 15 years, advising institutional clients on hedging strategies on how to deploy premium in, in markets effectively. Um, and that leads us uh, to 2023, still having fun studying markets and, and talking to clients. Yeah, sounds good. 2023 is bringing super fast changes in uh, narratives around the economic outlook. So what do you make of it in terms of how volas performed this year and what we're seeing? I think one of the things we try to do is is understand what drives markets. We are always in the business of ascribing cause and effect. So sometimes I think too much so. We, we look for things to tie together. Um, and I think um, that's a, something we have to be careful of. Sometimes we get too invested in, in a narrative. Um, but, I, but I will say that... Um, the pandemic period was one that introduced a sea change in how markets behave. Um, so, so what happened? The, the market uh, and the economy hit a sudden stop. Vol got to outrageously and unacceptably high levels. The Fed had to step in and not just backstop the risk markets, but the risk-free markets. Uh, we had a giant fiscal response. And that really set the stage for the dynamics that persisted in 2022. And I would argue are still working their way through, which is this very unwelcome change in the correlation regime. The dynamics of risk on risk off, which um, broadly is that the bond market rallies when the stock market sells off and vice versa. So a combination of stock and bond exposures tend to uh, be risk reducing um, broadly. They reinforced themselves. Uh, They moved together. So this was, of course, 2022. It's been well studied, but it was the joint decline in stock and bond prices that was just 
very difficult for the institutional portfolio. And I would say we're still working our way through that. Um, right. the, the correlation between stock and bond prices remains positive. Um, we're trying to figure out when uh, the end of the Fed cycle uh, is going to be upon us. And um, I, I think we thought we had maybe one or two more turns of, of tightening of 25 basis points. You look at your Bloomberg WIRP page, and now you've got the number three that's appeared in June and July in terms of incremental Fed turns. So, you know, it's it's a function of the data. It's a function of uh, how quickly inflation decelerates. Um, and I would say that the the stock market after, you know, bottoming out by the end of last year uh, had this really nice run. It was this narrative, again, use that word, of this immaculate disinflation. And some of the better data is now starting to get a little suspect from the stock market's standpoint in terms of what that might imply for the Fed. So we're, we're working our way through it, uh, but it's a, it's a really interesting um, time period. And, and I would argue a challenging one from a risk management standpoint. Last year was particularly challenging as you know you have a choice of moving uh, from equity into cash or buying downside hedges and downside hedges, uh, in, if you did it in a systematic way, actually underperformed owning the index just because the nature of the way how the market declined it was kind of a slow grind lower vol was already up going into the year it seemed like a lot of people got sucked into the market in january and uh the local top on february the second coincided with a day that we saw record call option volumes in the market we also saw a lot of demand for vix optionality right which can be reflected through VVIX, which is a measure of Volavol, which is which was nearly up 20 handles year to date. What do you make of that? I mean, I saw a lot of that was driven by the call side. Yeah, so, so you make a couple of really important points there. And I think, broadly speaking, your entry point really matters. And I think you referenced perhaps the end of 2021 as we came into 2022. One of the reasons for the very unsatisfactory performance of basic hedging instruments, whether they're out of the money puts or VIX call options in 2022, yes, the decline was in a slow motion fashion. So that matters, but the price you pay matters too. And so um, as we started 2022, there was a very unappealing setup in terms of price. Skew was very expensive. So the extra premium you pay for out of the money puts uh, was just very high relative to the experienced volatility in markets that spread was just giant Um, there's the old warren buffett saying um, price is what you pay value is what you get and price price was very unappealing uh, at the start of 2022 in terms of out of the money puts or vix calls so they really underperformed the market went through a learning experience over time Um, there's nothing more compelling from a learning experience than losing money Um, the pocketbook is your best uh your best feedback mechanism. And so for investors that were using out of the money puts or VIX calls throughout 2022, they started to experience um, just underperformance in a vast way. And so the setup coming into this year was, as you note, a pretty low VIX. So the premium for VIX options uh, was quite low. And um, you started to see at the beginning of this year pretty favorable demand uh, for these structures. Um, You saw significant buying of pretty far out of the money call options on VIX, 40 strikes out to March, 
Um, there's a very large um, uh, call spread that's um, kind of structured around the debt ceiling. Everyone likes to talk about the potential asymmetries that might result from the debt ceiling um, manifesting itself as a risk in June. So there's a huge call spread out there in VIX options that's uh, struck out in June. And so what happens when you start to see significant demand for something, the price of it goes up. And um, typically, for sure, the VIX and the S&P are negatively correlated. Um, and the VVIX, uh, the implied vol of VIX options and the S&P are pretty negatively correlated as well. But what you saw in January was a joint rise in both the S&P and the VVIX. And I think what I attribute that to is just demand. Um, as I've described, there was a significant amount of outright and call spread demand in VIX options that I think lent itself to um, increasing the level of option premium on the VIX, even as the S&P was rising. Uh, so that's kind of where we are now. And so I think you step back and look at VIX options, they're probably fairer from a value standpoint than they were. People had given up on it. Um, they just had looked at the VIX and the experience of owning VIX calls in 2022 and say, you know what, I just don't want to do that anymore. Um, it just hasn't paid off. And um, other folks stepped in, maybe it's fresh capital and said, boy, th these are a pretty good deal. And so now the, the VIX has risen, you know, a, a fair amount from its from its lows that uh, persisted at the end of last year. At the start of the year, we, we actually had a, quite a decent amount of vol compression, right? So if you were looking at some downside hedging, that didn't seem to be a bad time. Just to unpack, um, when we talk about the skew, we're talking about essentially uh, vol on put minus calls, which had been elevated since COVID. It kind of stepped up into this higher range, as well as measures of convexity of tail risk pricing. So those measures didn't really reset lower from the onset of COVID probably in part due to the fact that a lot of strategies that short vol blew up and they, uh, it takes a while for them to come back into the market but those measures really fell last year as equity vol underperformed yeah, yeah i think it's a really interesting point so there's a lot of ways to measure the skew uh, my favorite is i just look at um, the premium of a two-month 25 delta put on the s p versus the 25 delta call. Some people put it, some people do it in uh, percentage out of the money and strike space. Um, so there's a number of ways to do it. You typically arrive at the same conclusion, but right. broadly speaking, there was a giant flattening of that skew. And I think you got a couple of things there. Um, the first is if I look at the realized vol in the S&P in 2022, I get to around 23 and a half. Now, what's fascinating about it is that if I break the vol down into days on which the market rose versus days on which it fell, so it's either going to rise or fall, um, it, the market was actually more volatile on up days than down days last year. So that's sort of an inverted skew. That might be similar to something like Vic, uh, something like gold or a commodity might do that. But that's not often the case in the S&P. So if you, again, think about the feedback loops of markets and just what market participants experience on a P&L basis, um, it made more sense to pay more money from a vol standpoint for the upside than the downside last year. Um, so you started to see that flattening. That's a function of the experience of Realized. And I think the other thing's important. You mentioned this big start to the year. 
Um, we all try to target positioning. I think it's very difficult to do. But if you do step back and look at statistics that um, prime brokers report on exposures, the market was pretty underinvested last year. And I think that's another sign of why this upside part of the vol skew um, was well bid, that uh, there's a desire to maintain some exposure to the market, but I'm going to use optionality. I might not be in the market, but I'm going to get a placeholder through some long call optionality. And you can see that, again, in the behavior, the biggest move last year, the one biggest move was a 5.5% update on November 10th. It was a very benign CPI day. It really set the stage for the rest of the year. Um, we had only two 2% 2 moves from November 10th to the rest of the year. We had 45 of them for the entire year. But that one day is indicative of how under-invested in the market the investors were, a 5.5% up day. Um, so again, I think it just ties back to these these skew dynamics and the flat skew uh, that persisted throughout 2022. So what do you make about um, these zero days to expiry options, given the, the growth? And there's a lot of talk about how these options may be adding to the fragility of the market. My sense is that a lot of that flow is buying to amp up leverage, essentially, rather than selling the tails to collect premiums. So the net effect may be dealers who sell these options may be magnifying intraday vol rather than leading to a 2018 Volmageddon type of episode where that blow up in short vol was related to VIX exchange traded products following a period when VIX was printing single digits in 2017. These zero delta DTE options are more akin to stocks than anything else. If the, the volume of stock trading went up a lot, we wouldn't say Armageddon is coming. And I think that's really what these are. Um, there's just no definitive indication that there is some either vastly long or short vol base that's built up through these. Right. Um, one I just saw that uh, was kind of a follow-up from a different research provider was that um, the, the, the increase in volume in zero DT options started around June of last year, and we can tie the decline in the VIX to that increase in volume because the dealers are buying these from the sellers and tripping over themselves, hedging a very gamma intensive instrument. Um, I, I liken the, or I um, uh, argue that the decline in VIX from high levels in mid last year is simply a decline in realized volatility right. over the same period of time. Uh, realized vol was 30 around June of 2022. It declined throughout the better part of last year. And that's really a function of the market getting its arms around the Fed cycle more than anything else. Um, the other part of this that's just very difficult to square, you mentioned the original event in 2018. Um, my firm did a ton of work on this in 2017. You could see mathematically pretty precisely the implications of the VIX going in one day from 12 to 18 these ETP complexes were literally going to go to zero. That was the math. You could actually be pretty precise about that. The arguments for Volmageddon 2.0 uh, for zero DTE, just they're just very weak. Um, number one, we just can't see positioning with any precision. But my bigger question is why? Um, you know, the 
experience that these short vol funds had in 2020 was a wipeout. We know about the destruction of capital that happened in equity derivatives in March of 2020. And so what we've got to convince ourselves is that um, folks have literally wiped up, uh, you know, wiped off their losses, gone back to their boards and said, we're going to start selling options for risk premium generation purposes that expire the same day. And by the way, in our back tests are three days that the market moved 9% in a row. Um, March, uh, I think it was 13th, 16th, and 17th You had of 2020, you had three straight 9% moves. One of them was a 12% move. And so we're going to ask our board to approve a strategy that's short that, that's well within the scope of a back test. I just don't see it. The second thing I just want to make a point of is if if there's a compelling trade to do here to sell zero day D DTEs, um, you can make an argument in 2017 that as low as the VIX was, um, the realized vol actually did make it a compelling sale. Uh, VIX averaged more than 60% higher than realized vol for the year in 2017. In 2022, the spread of, of um, the VIX to realized is in something like the 28th percentile. I go back 10 years. So it's really not all that favorable a percentile. Um, it doesn't seem like a huge premium to step in and say, hey, we want to be short this for risk premium generation purposes. Uh, and then the last point I'll make, I mentioned the 45 2% moves that occurred plus or minus uh, daily in 2022. Um, if dealers are super long gamma and trying to rehedge, we know that that is a vol dampener. So how do you get 45, 2% daily moves? Well, you get there because there's a lot of macro uncertainty. That's right. how you get there. Right. You get there because the move gets to 160 because inflation is not transitory at all. The Fed's way behind. So I just don't, I just don't see it. Um, you know, anything can happen in markets, but it's not a function of some real big risk that's uh, a convexity risk that's coming from folks being overly short these options well thanks for joining us on this episode of all options considered dean happy to be here Tamara. thanks so much for your time really appreciate it thanks a lot <laughs>